0: All right. Hey, I love that. Hey, welcome to Seacoast. Good morning. Hey, welcome to the body of Christ. Uh, If you are new and visiting, I'd love to get to know you better and uh, meet you in the plaza afterwards. And I just want to know that we are uh, thrilled that you're with us. We love studying the scriptures here. That's what we do. We think God is a God of revelation. You're going to see that in a minute even unfolded in today's text. So if you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 3 today. Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have one, feel free to slip out to the back or get one. They're on us. If you don't have one at home, take it home with you. We want you to have God's Word and be able to open it together. So open to Ephesians chapter 3. There's always an outline provided as well that you can pull out. It will definitely help you as you follow along today. Father God, thank you for your Word and the chance we have to study it together. Thank you for the joy of being together as what you've nicknamed the body of Christ or the uh, your family, the family of God right here on planet Earth. We pray that as we uh, study your word, listen to you. I pray that your spirit would speak to each one of us. Uh, I just pray you start with me. Father, would you teach me even as I teach? Would you challenge me even as I seek to kind of challenge us? But may your word be the thing that we listen to. So we love you. We appreciate you very much. All God's people said, Amen. amen. Many of you may already know that I grew up in a family with three siblings, but most significantly, I had two older brothers. So I was boy number three. How many of you have ever been boy number three in a family? Huh? Okay. Many of you. Okay. That's why you're much more normal than I am today. Because when you're boy number three, what that means is you have two older brothers whose Hobby is torturing little brother, Uh, especially my brother just ahead of me, my brother Marshall, who if you're here next week, he will actually be in town and he is off limits. You cannot ask him any questions about my past. (laughs) But I will tell you something that he would not deny. And that is he often reminds me that when we were growing up as kids, that we lived in a home in which he made it his passion, his hobby to scare his little brother. Now, we, you gotta kinda picture this. We lived in an old ranch style home. That, that when my parents bought it, they, they took the garage that was at one far end of the house and they remodeled it because they had three boys, one girl, and they remodeled that garage into a big bedroom for the three guys. It was even nicknamed the guy's room or the boy's room. And so I grew up sharing a bedroom with two older brothers. And then, then there was this long, single, straight hallway, which to a little kid, when I was three, four, five years old, it seemed like it ran for a 100 yards. All right. It really wasn't that long, but can you picture it this morning as if it's a 100 yards? hallway because at the other end of that hallway was the kitchen next to the kitchen was my parents bedroom now i was a little kid and my brother marshall often tells people he loved to learn because he learned i was afraid of the dark i would wake up i had nightmares a little times as a little guy i'd wake up with a nightmare and i wanted to go and see if my parents were still alive and get a little comfort and my brother if he was still up and he heard me he would purposely turn out the lights in the hallway, and as I came down that hallway, I had to pass like three different doorways. He would hide in one of those doorways, and he would jump out and scare me and yell at me. And, he, and this is how he tells it. This is an exact quote. He says, Dale, I loved the sight of your little stubby legs running down the hallway screaming, okay? He just had that. He had great pleasure in watching me kind of freak out Because I was seriously, I was afraid of the dark and he assured me that I had a reason to be (laughs) because when I came down a hallway, he would yell, he would scare me and he'd watch as he used to say, your chubby little legs. Now I was picture me, I'm a a cute little three-year-old at this point, all right, but he would see me with my little three, four-year-old chubby legs running back and jumping under the covers, uh, terrorized by my older brother. And I really believe that to this day, to some degree, more than most people, I am unashamedly afraid of the dark. I don't like walking in dark places where I can't see what's ahead of me. I don't like walking through dark rooms. The first thing I look for is the light switch. Boom. I want some light. My two brothers and I have uh, survived being tortured by them and actually have become good friends And uh, now that we're a little older, we uh, have a 40-year tradition that around Memorial Day week, uh, I meet them in the backwoods of West Virginia where we grew up. We go to an area called the Cranberry River Backcountry. It's in the Monongahela National Forest. It's a place where there is no cell phone coverage. There is no lights. There is no electricity. There is no restroom. There's just the woods and a beautiful trout stream. The Monongahela Forest is known for two things. When we go there and we trout fish together as brothers and bring a few of our kids and friends along, it's known for two things. Great trout fishing. It's one of the top ten streams in America. And, uh, and then also, it is a black bear sanctuary. Now, I don't know if you knew that such a thing existed. A black bear sanctuary is simply this. It's a national forest in which whenever there's some nasty black bear that gives too much trouble to people, they tranquilize it, they airlift it or truck it, they bring it into this very location, and they let it loose where I like to trout fish. But my brother, again, always assured me, now little brother, you don't have to worry. They're just black bear." (laughs) <laughs> they're not grizzlies, they're not brown bear, and, and it's true, black bear are kind of like big old dogs, you know, and he says they usually don't eat people, okay, but usually, but uh, but they but they do live there, and it's a black bear sanctuary where for many, many years you, were, you weren't allowed to hunt them, so therefore the black bears had a hobby, and that is they pretty much sleep during the day, and at night they come out looking for food in our camp. So more than once I've been in a tent, With a thin layer of nylon fabric between me and the sound of a bear walking through camp. So, I'm afraid of the dark. When I go out, my flashlight is my friend. And uh, as if shining a light on the bear will like tranquilize it. Okay, But at least it lets me know where it is so I can run the other direction. Darkness can be scary. I don't know too many people that really like being in really, really dark places. I've been camping in this backcountry on times when there is no moon. And when there's not a moon and the clouds roll in to block the starlight, it literally gets so dark that I have literally taken my hand and moved it toward my face to see if I could see it. And I don't see my hand even as it touches my nose. That's what I mean by darkness. It's a scary thing. But imagine if you were unable to see. Imagine if that kind of of darkness was your everyday experience. Not just because of physical blindness, because there are those that live with that darkness literally as a way of life who are blind. But let me switch the metaphor a little bit today and say, what would it feel like to you, if maybe your eyes worked just fine and the sun was out, but you had a form of darkness of the soul, you had a form of spiritual darkness where you really couldn't see what you were looking to find. What I mean by that is, what if you ask the question, where can I see God? And all you see is a blur or a mystery. What if you say, where can I know truth? And the best you can do is guess at it, but you really don't know truth. Truth with a capital T. Truth that you can depend on, rely on. What if in light of that, you're looking for life? What is the secret to life and making life work, and yet you feel like you're groping in the dark, trying to kind of find life, you're, because it's just hit and miss. It's up to you to guess and try, Hoping that you find where real life is found. But you don't know. Because it's just like waking up in the middle of the night. In a big storm and all the power's out. There is no light. And you're trying to find your way through the house. In total darkness. There are people on planet earth. That this is all they see. When they think about where is God. When they think about where is truth. When they think about where is life. All they see are question marks. That's it. That's it. Today we're going to look at a passage that's going to talk about this problem. And not, the good thing is not going to talk about the problem. It's going to actually talk about the solution to the problem. It comes right out of what Ryan was teaching us last week. Because let me make it even, even worse of a metaphor. And that is this. Remember this picture from last Sunday? If you were here, you heard Ryan describe this as a picture of the temple. It's a it's a it's a picture of what the temple would have looked like. You see the big walls around the temple. But I want to draw your attention to the little wall around the courtyard of the temple. That little wall, as I talked to Ryan some more this week, they say it was probably just about three feet high. So you could walk right up to it. You could look over it. But there were warning signs on it saying that if you were not a Jew, you were not allowed inside that inner courtyard. You were allowed on the outside looking in, but you weren't allowed to be an insider. And what if you came there for the reason that a lot of people came to the temple, which was this, they knew and sensed that they were in the dark spiritually because they had questions about God, about truth, and about life. And they heard that the temple represented the manifestation of the God of Israel, the creator of the universe. And that if you go there, you can encounter God, you can learn about God, and you can learn about life and God, and you can learn the truth. So you're in darkness, but you're an outsider, and you're allowed to come up to that wall, but you can't go any further. So what's it feel like to be an outsider that's not allowed inside? And then to make it tougher, what's what's it feel like to be in the dark spiritually where you've got tons of questions and you know that the people inside that wall, they have some light. But you're not allowed to go over the wall. So now you're an outsider in the dark and that's all you have see that's a pretty hopeless feeling isn't it i don't think any of us would want to be outsiders in the dark that's a two fold problem well last week ryan destroyed the first half of the problem because he did a great job looking at chapter two and in chapter two verses eleven and following we're told this it says this that you were once look at verse twelve of chapter two just to set the stage for today It says, remember that you were at that time, that is outside the wall, as Gentiles, as Greeks, as non-Jews, you were, and here's quite a scary list, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, the people of faith, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He's brought peace between these warring segments of of the world. And he has made both groups into one new entity. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So he's broken down the wall and through Christ we can now enter in. We can approach the temple. We can approach God. We can approach God through Christ and, he, and 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 he talked about the forming of remember the, the I love I love the uh, the fireworks and the snowball fights all that stuff you know so now no more snowball fights because we've come together as people that into a global movement of god a global family of god jew greek people of every color every ethnicity people of all nations of the earth who place their faith in jesus christ and what he did become part of a global new family that's at peace with one another now that was great news but it kind of begs the question why so what's God up to in doing that because he remember there's two problems here one is you're on the outside so now God's Jesus demolishes the dividing wall so that now everyone is free to approach God through Christ but then the second issue is the issue of the morning why did he create this new family of God And he created the new family of God for this very reason. Light. Just write one word if you want to remember. it. It's all about light. I want to show you four things that as I studied chapter 3 are going to be true of us as the family of God if you have come to Christ. You're part of a family that first of all has been enlightened by the light, by Jesus Christ. You have been entrusted with the light. Thirdly, you have been enlisted to do something with the light. And then if that seems overwhelming, we're going to give you some encouragement. It's got to start with E, okay, sorry about that. But yeah, you're encouraged to know that God is the one who's going to pull this thing off. But we're going to talk today about what it means to be the family of God and what it means to understand how we have the opportunity and the privilege to address the issue of a world in darkness that is desperately wanting some light. All right? Here we go. Listen to the word of God. Pick it up chapter 3 verse 1. It says this, for this reason I Paul prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you for your sake Gentiles all the ones outside of the the Jewish family. For the sake of you Gentiles if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. That, here it is, here's the stewardship, that by revelation there has been made known to me the mystery, as I spoke before in brief. By referring to this, verse 4, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, at least as it has been made known now, as it has been revealed in his holy apostles and the prophets in the spirit. To be specific, here it is, that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Good news, good news. Let me begin to unpack this because the first two key words are in these first six verses. Here it is. Number one, the family of God, you and me, if you've come to faith in Christ, have been enlightened by the light. It's interesting that in Ephesians 5, 8, if you turn the page in your Bible, we'll come to this passage after the new year. In Ephesians 5, 8, he says this, for you were formerly in darkness, but now you are Light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You used to be children of darkness. Now you are children of light. And that's because, first, God has enlightened us. Now, I want to stop and dwell on that word a little bit. The concept of enlightening or having a revelation is mentioned not once but three times. Verse 3, Paul says there is a revelation that's been made known to me for you a revelation that's been made known. Verse 4, he said, I want you to see the insight into the mystery of God. Verse 5, I love verse 5. Verse 5 says, 3-5, it says, "Which, "...which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been made revealed through the holy apostles and the prophets in the Spirit." In other words, this truth about Jesus Christ breaking down the dividing wall, forming a new family of God that is able to uh, to take light to the world in darkness is something that had been talked about in the Old Testament. But but he says it's never been revealed like it has now through the apostles, through the story of Jesus and the birth of the church and, and, and the birth of this thing called the body of Christ. He says, you've got to understand, this is a revelation. This is an insight into a mystery. And this has never before in human history been understood like it's understood now. You are the first generation, he's saying to these Ephesians, to unlock uh, where this mystery is unlocked and revealed to you. I want you to focus on the word revelation, because this is one of the most commonly misunderstood concepts in Christianity. That what we believe is not a result of human reason, but divine revelation. Big difference. I remember one time having a conversation with an older gentleman. I think his name was George. I can't remember for sure. We'll call him George for sake of the story. But the story's true. And George and I, we got into a discussion. Uh, he, was, he was a night watchman at a, at, a, at, a, um, at a dormitory that I was living in at the time. A- and George and I got into a discussion about Religion and about Jesus and about my faith and his faith and he disagreed with me and and I was trying to explain to him my view of Christ and Christianity and he was kind of kind of to explain kind of his New Age concept of this and that and the fact that you know I think all religion is kind of the same at its roots and blah 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 and as we talked finally George said you know Dale I really like you and usually when they say that there's a but coming okay he says but you know we could talk all night I think. Uh, but I, we, we would never agree and that's okay because you have your opinion. I have my opinion and who knows what's right. You know, we all just have our opinions and it hit me that night. I stopped and I said, George, I said, Oh my gosh, I don't want you to misunderstand me. And I think you have, I said, because what I want you to know is I'm not trying to share with you my opinion about God. He says, well, sure you are. I said, no, 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 George. I said, George, where do you get your idea of God? Can you tell me kind of where you came up with it? And he says, well, I just kind of came up with it on my own. You know, I I read a lot and I've listened to a lot of people and views. And it's kind of what I've developed as my personal kind of view of God. And and, and, um, I said, George, that's not where I'm coming from. I said, George, the difference in you and me is you openly admit that your view of God is something you've developed on your own, and it's yours, and you own it. And I respect that. I said, but George, you need to understand that my view of God is not based in my opinion. My view of God is based in the idea that I believe God himself has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and his death and resurrection, in the scriptures that he inspired, that uh, George, I believe, have all kinds of evidence of bearing the fingerprints of God all over this book. So my faith is not based on my personal opinion. It's not based on my ideas. It's, it's rooted in the concept that I believe God loves you enough and he loves humanity enough to reveal himself. So I'm just sharing with you what the Bible, what the scriptures, which I believe to be from God, says about God. See, so my view is based in a revelation of God concerning himself, not in a reasoning of what I think God is like. It's very different. We need to understand that what the world needs to hear is not our opinion versus their opinion. Our world needs to be confronted with the exciting news that God has invaded humanity, invaded planet Earth. You'll hear more about this next week, by the way, through our Advent series that we'll kick off for Christmas. That God has invaded humanity, that God has spoken, that God has revealed. That's why the key words, this is a revelation made known to us. Not just human reason, a revelation from God. So understand that's the root of, of what we believe number two if you have a revelation from god about the truth about god and life and salvation and everything else that is a something that is entrusted to us before we move on beyond verse six i want you to zero in on this concept in verse two look at it paul says this revelation he says that he had heard from god is a stewardship he has a stewardship of god's grace given to me for you in other words this revelation is something that he is a steward of Uh, you know the word stewardship is whenever someone uh takes something of uh, of another person's and they are entrusted to manage it it's often a financial term so it's kind of like if you are a steward of someone else's wealth and they they put their wealth under your control some of you have a financial manager okay that if you have some finances you have a financial, maybe you have a financial manager. Uh, I have one. And I've given him permission, because he's smarter than me, to take what little bit of wealth I have and my retirement funds, and he can shift them from this to that. He lets me know what he's doing. But I've kind of said, you know, you're going to steward this wealth, this tiny little wealth of Dale's, and you can move it around. And But but he does it for whose benefit? Answer? Well, if he's a good financial manager and you trust him, he's doing it for my benefit. And you know, and he gets a little reward for doing it so he can make a living doing it. That's cool. I'm okay with that. But he's doing what he thinks is best for me to advance my little kingdom, to advance my investments. But he's a manager of something that he does not really own, but he's entrusted with it. See that? That's what's called stewardship. And the Bible says that the gospel is something that is so cool and so awesome that God has entrusted it to us. He's entrusted to us the mysteries of God, for heaven's sake. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 through 4, somewhere in those verses. I think it's verse 2. Write the reference down. Look at it this week. See if I'm right. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 or so says this. Paul says, here's how I think about myself. I'm just a servant of Jesus. And secondly, I am a steward of the mysteries of God. While I'm a keeper or a steward of the mysteries of God, they're entrusted to me. And that's the second key concept here, is that when you are enlightened by the light of Jesus Christ to know truth, the truth about God, the truth about turning on the light instead of the darkness, then that is a stewardship that we all have, that we are entrusted with it. And the question is, what do you do with it? And that's where the next E word comes in. We're not only enlightened with the light and entrusted to take good care of it, But what does God want us to do? Here it is, verse 7. Pick it up again. Let's resume the passage. Verse 7. He says, of which, this gospel, of which I was made a minister. According, and it just means servant. It doesn't mean he's a professional pastor, okay? Don't use that word minister that way. It just means a servant. That if you know the gospel, you are a servant or minister uh, of of that gospel. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me, according to the working of his power, to me, the least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light, there it is, what is the administration or the outworking of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to even the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. In other words, the angels even are watching to see what we do with this incredible truth about God that we've been entrusted with. You've been enlightened with it, which means you've been entrusted with it. Third word, you've been enlisted to share it. Why do I say enlisted to share it? These verses, 7 through 10, contain like four action words. Here they are. We'll pop them up. Let's bring them up. I've been made a minister or a servant uh, of this gospel. In verse 8, I'm called to preach or proclaim the riches of Christ. That's good news. Guess what? In Christ, you can be spiritually rich. Verse 9, to bring to light the mysteries of God. Verse 10 to unveil the wisdom of God, which has now been made known through the church. It's been entrusted to us so that we might be enlisted to become agents of light, conduits of light to people in the world that are walking around in the dark, spiritually blind, and maybe they're not even aware of it, but they don't have answers. When they say, how do I know what God is really like? All they see is a question mark. When they say, how do I know what truth really is? All they see is a question mark. When they say, how do I know what real life is designed to be lived? What's the secret to live in life the way God created us to live it? All they see is a question mark. Because they're dark. They're in darkness. But if you look at these, the language is all the language of action. God says, man, I want to call you. You're enlisted. To be part of the solution for humanity. I really like that. But it's kind of threatening. It can be overwhelming. When you say so where do we start? Where do we start? I want to kind of dwell on this. For a a few more minutes. Because one of my concerns. Is that if if we're not careful. uh, We can be so heavy as a church. On wanting to be disciples. Who demonstrate the love of Jesus. That we may. We may get out of balance. Now, I say that carefully because I'm all in for the idea that we want to make disciples who are not just talking about the love of Jesus, don't just sing songs about it, actually do something. You know, we actually get out and love Encinitas. We actually go overseas and love on Africa. We're getting ready to send another team to love on Tanzania and, and and the youth in Tanzania. We're going to do good deeds through the CRC. We're going to be giving money and food and bicycles and to kids and adults even who need bicycles and don't have bicycles. And I'm proud of our junior high for breaking through. And they don't just have 100 bicycle helmets. They got 167, right, Jordan, where are you? bicycle helmets they're in the junior high group so you know and by the end of christmas you're going to have over 200 so we got to give the bikes to match the helmets so get the old bike that you know you're never going to ride again because you're too lazy and so am i so anyway (laughs) okay i mean i got extra bikes in my i know i'm not riding that bike again so i'm going to give it to them okay now you know so get the bike out give it but here's the deal if we're not careful our good deeds can be misunderstood Let me give you a sentence I want you to think about deeply good deeds loving people in the name of Jesus without good news of explaining why do we love people so much can lead to self-effort not salvation and the glory of the Christian or to glorify the Christian instead of Christ. When I wrote this, I thought, um, you know, Matt may want to tweet this one out. I don't know. This is, I want you to think about this because I'm all in for good deeds. In fact, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16. See your good works. And end up glorifying your father in heaven. Instead of seeing your good works and end up glorifying you, the Christian. See, here's how I think. If I'm not careful, I can, I can, I've done this. I've, I've messed this up. If I go out and I show a lot of love to somebody, I see they have a need, I sacrifice, I get generous, I help them out, I meet the need. And it's very often when you do that, what do people do? Talk to me. Huh? Huh? Yeah, they say thank you. I mean, I think anyone virtually. Wow, you, you, I didn't think anybody really cared or noticed. You noticed, you cared, you did something. Thank you. Wow, thanks so much. Now, I got a response coming when they do that. If I say, no problem, I love helping people. Or, no problem, it's just my privilege. Or, thank you for thanking me and if that's all i say then they walk away from that and here's what i think they think they think wow i wish i could be more like dale i've never met a guy so nice or usually it's becky in our marriage case okay it's usually i wish i could be like becky i wish i could be you know uh, and i'll just try harder because obviously dale on his own has become a really nice guy so if that's all they know about me and they see my good works it glorifies me. Now, every time I do something nice, I don't think I need to follow it with a sermon. Can I say that? Okay, if I do something nice and someone says, hey, Dale, thanks so much, I think it's okay to say, wow, thanks for appreciating it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being appreciated. You know, but at some point, as I build this relationship with someone that I'm showing the kindness of Jesus to, here's at some point, I've got to say something like this. i got to say, you know, I appreciate the fact that you appreciate what I did. But I just need to, for integrity, I need to tell you, um, I haven't always been this way. In fact, for a bunch of my life, pretty much all I cared about was me. And I really didn't have a lot of compassion. Um, But something happened in my life that changed that. And if you'd like to talk about it, I'd love to buy you coffee. And most people, when you do that, what are they going to say? They're going to say, I really don't have time for that. No, they're not going to say that. They're going to say what? They're going to say, sure, I'd love to hear that story. And then you have a chance to buy them coffee and tell them the story of how Jesus has changed your life and the good news that, wow. I discovered the good news that God had invaded humanity and died for my sins on a cross and rose from the dead. And and I, and I found the good news that the revelation of trying to figure God out, that God actually gave us the answers and revealed himself in revealing scripture and his church. And that's made everything different for me. And I'd love to talk with you further about that and help you understand that. And there's no pressure. There's no coercion. It's just gossiping the good news behind your good deeds. And I think if we are going to be representatives, for us to be light in our world, we've got to get beyond just doing the good deeds to having the conversations about the good news. And that's often, eh, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. But I think if we can reduce it to the commonality, it's just telling the story of Jesus. Just telling the story of Jesus and what he did for us, along with letting them see and experience that we're really people that love. Then I think we can actually do this. I love the fact that God always anticipates your feelings. Because I think at this point, most people read this and they go, wow, yeah, hooray, man, I've been enlightened with the light. I've been entrusted with the light. But this being enlisted to be light and to share the light, this makes me feel uncomfortable. So I love the fact that the final three verses switch gears and just encourage us that God is actually the one that flips the switch to change people's hearts and minds. We don't have to be responsible to be the 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 the, uh, the switch flipper. All we do is present the truth and the good news of Jesus and the Spirit of God flips the switch. Here's what I see. Look at it in the final three verses. This was in accordance, verse 11, with the eternal purpose which God carried out in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the eternal plan for how God planned to change a world of darkness. God's been planning this for since the beginning of time. Guess what? Nothing new here. So be assured God is working out his plan. Number two, he says, therefore, be bold in whom we have boldness and confidence. We have confident access through faith in Christ. If we put our faith in Christ, we can be bold because we realize I got nothing to lose except making this person know that I love him enough to share the truth of the good news. And then finally, don't just be bold, be willing to pay a price and even suffer if necessary because people's souls are worth it. Telling people the good news, whether it's in Africa, when we send our teams over there and you give to help make that happen this Christmas again, or whether it's at the CRC or whether it's through your everyday world, it doesn't matter as you give local, give global. But most importantly, I want to add a third one as you love people in your everyday world. I love that. See, that's that's the real heart of this thing is that we walk in light, Because we're no longer in the darkness. Because now, guess what? You have been enlightened with the light, entrusted with the light. You have been enlisted to be light, to be it for someone else. Someone, for heaven's sakes, shared the light with you. I want you right now to remember who that was. Now, God says, You go and do likewise. You can be the light in your everyday world. And people are worth it. People are worth it. So what we're learning is this. When you come to Jesus, you are not just a new follower of Jesus. You're a new member of a global family that is in the lighting business. A lot of times people join a family and say, yeah, you know, the fam- what's the family business? Well, guess what? The business of this family is light. Is light. God's given it to you. And the cool thing about this family business is you don't have to sell anything. You just give it away. You don't have to sell it. You just give it away. Pray with me. Father God, thank you. Wow, for the incredible, incredible revelation of the gospel of Jesus thank you for the incredible revelation of the mystery of God thank you for the incredible gift that you have entrusted to us of your gospel of grace thank you for the incredible wisdom that unpacks the nature and the truth about God and life and thank you that you've given it to us we didn't deserve it it was a gift May we be a good steward of it. May we use it wisely. May we be generous in how we share our lives and our, even our wealth to help get this great message out to more and more of those who walk in darkness, who are outsiders. May we invite them in with love. May we share the good news And may you flip the switch and spread the light. We love you. We worship you now, in Christ's name. Amen.